What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Christian Minute, where we provide teachings and encouraging words all for the glory of God. If we haven't met before, my name's Devin Caswell. I'm a YouTuber, I'm a vlogger, and I run this podcast. If you would like to find out more information about this podcast or other resources, check that out at thechristianminute.carrd.co. The title of today's message is The Power of the Love of Christ. I hope you guys enjoy for those of you that don't know me, my name's Devin Caswell. I currently head up the youth ministry here at Catch the Fire Boulder, and it's such an honor to be up here and, and giving the word. And um, But for those of you that are here, thank you for coming. This is just so good to see some faces and some seats, and it's just very encouraging. And those of you that are tuning online, thank you as well. Um, when the whole, Usually when I prep for a message, the Holy Spirit gives me usually a title or a subject and so like intimacy or forgiveness or something like that. And so usually when I choose a topic, I start researching that topic and the Holy Spirit starts downloading things to me uh, about that topic. And when I was prepping for today's sermon, that's something that didn't really happen. Normally that's the way it happens, but it didn't happen this way that t- this time. And um, I just felt like the Holy Spirit gave me a lot of stories from Scripture to share with you. All of them are going to be about Jesus. And so when I'm sharing these stories about Jesus, I want you guys to put yourself in the shoes of the people that are being affected by Jesus. And I'm also going to give you guys a few major points throughout the sermon that I want you guys to walk away with. And so the first major point that I want you guys to walk away with is to understand and to know that we are all set free. And so... The story I'm going to use for that is it's kind of interesting because Jesus was handed over to be killed, to be eventually crucified. And so he's going through this process, and then this, there's kind of this story of Jesus going to the cross, and it's interrupted by a character, by a story. And this, this, this person is named Barabbas. And Barabbas, we don't know much about him. He's, he's somebody who all we really know about him is he was a murderer, and he was a leader of an insurrection. Basically, he was a leader of a rebellion. And so, we don't know much about him. This story doesn't seem to make much sense. This story is about Jesus going to the cross, and suddenly he's interrupted by this. It's just kind of weird. It seems out of place until you really look at it. And so, how this story goes is that we, there's three crucial people. We have Jesus on, on the one side of the stage, we have Pilate, who's in the center of the stage, and we have Barabbas on the other side of the stage. Pilate is the one who's basically the judge. He gets to determine what happens to who. He gets to determine the punishment. And then we have Barabbas, who's the criminal, and then we have Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Messiah. And so, on, on, a, on a very special day, on, on the holy day, it was Jewish custom for the crowd to get to decide who gets to go free. And so the crowd is in this moment is deciding between Jesus and Barabbas. And they start yelling out the words, give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. And so that's exactly what ends up happening. Pilate, after some time, he really struggles because he doesn't see that Jesus has done anything wrong. He kept saying the words, I find no reason to give this man the death penalty. That's the, that's the phrase he kept repeating, but the crowd didn't care. They were resilient. They wanted Barabbas, and that's eventually what happened. Barabbas was set free. He didn't deserve it. See, Barabbas was somebody who was, 
who deserved the punishment. He was somebody who was a criminal. He deserved the crucifixion. He deserved the death penalty against Jesus. What has Jesus done? All Jesus has done is show love. Heal, all he's done is heal and restore. He's opened the deaf ears. He's opened blind eyes. But yet Barabbas is the one that gets to go free. That's how it is in our lives. We are the ones that get set free, even though we deserve the punishment. Even though we've fallen short, Jesus sets us free. And the interesting thing about this story is that when Barabbas was set free and he walks off this stage, he probably thought that it was the crowd that set him free. It wasn't the crowd that set Barabbas free that day. It was love. And it was the love of the Father. It was the love of Christ. And it seems almost like Barabbas didn't really understand the free gift that was given to him in this moment. He doesn't understand the importance of it. He walks off and there's no record of Barabbas turning around to Jesus and being like, I owe you everything now. Thank you. There's no record of that. Barabbas just walks off the stage and goes back to his criminal lifestyle immediately. Immediately claims his freedom. I believe that's probably one difference between us and Barabbas. Barabbas is somebody, when he was set free, he immediately claimed the freedom. But I feel like a lot of us, when we have shackles on our wrists and we're set free, a lot of us almost want to pick the shackles back up and put them back on. Because we feel guilty for a lot and shameful for a lot of the things we've done. And we're on this stage with Jesus, and we said, Jesus, I deserve the chains. I'm too ashamed of what I've done. I've messed up too many times. I don't deserve this. And Jesus looks at us and he says, give me your shame. But God, in my past, I've made too many mistakes. I've done too many things wrong. I've sinned too many times. Give me all of that. You are set free. You are made new. Guys, could it be that there's a love that's so great, that's so wide, that's so vast, that's so inclusive, so welcoming, that it doesn't matter what we've done. We have been set free from those things. And some of us almost get this idea that we can set ourselves free. That if I work hard enough, that if I serve enough, that if I'm a good enough person, then maybe one day I'll be able to take off these chains. There's nothing you can do to set yourself free. There's only one person, there's only one way that you can be set free, and his name is Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It'll still be Jesus. It'll never stop being Jesus. I need you guys to understand that Jesus is enough. The same blood that was shed for our salvation is the same blood that is, that is sufficient enough to cover all of our sin and all of our mistakes. Amen? So the first life lesson was we are all set free. Second major point I want you guys to walk away with, take a mental note of this, is to become a living sacrifice. This is kind of a, an, an interesting phrase because I feel like this is something that's tossed around in Christianity a lot. It's a phrase that we casually say all the time. And it's a very Christianese phrase. You don't really hear it in any other context. And I really just want to share the importance of what becoming a living sacrifice is, and also how to do that. Because it's a phrase that's tossed around, I feel like a lot of us don't really know what it means. And so Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, says, 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Verse 2 says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so Paul is the one that wrote that verse. He wrote the book of Romans. And that first phrase, I urge you, it seems very light, very casual. It almost sounds like a suggestion. Like, yeah, I urge you. Like, if you want to become a living sacrifice, sure, you can. But when you look at the Greek, there's this word parakaleo. That word urge translates to parakaleo, and parakaleo means to beg or beseech. So we can see that in this scripture, in this moment, that Paul is basically on his knees begging us to become a living sacrifice. And I say that to emphasize the importance. This is not something to be taken lightly. And so now that we understand the importance, it's very under, we have to understand how to do this. And so in that second verse, it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So in order to become a living sacrifice, there has to, become, there has to be a mindset shift, a mindset change. And so how do we begin to renew our mind to think more like Christ? It's very simple, and I, and I love this teacher named Andrew Womack. If you guys haven't heard of him, check him out. But he does this series called Effortless Change. And basically the whole concept of this series is that if I read enough scripture, that if I'm just diligent and I read my scripture daily, and I spend time with God daily, my life will begin to change for the better effortlessly. And it's nothing that I had to do to make it happen other than to read my word and to spend time with God. And this is how we begin to renew our minds, by spending time, spending that quality time with God, by reading our scripture. Because the thing is, is we, scripture is, is more than just words on a page. It's living, breathing truth. So when I read the word of God, these pages are jumping off, the, the, these words are jumping off the pages and it's doing things inside of me that I don't even see. It's shifting, it's forming, it's molding me to begin to think more like Christ. So this is how we begin to renew our mind. And the other thing I, I want you guys to understand is that transformation is something that it doesn't happen immediately. It's something that often takes time. And so if you're reading your word and you're spending time with God and you do it for like two weeks and you're feeling like you don't feel any different, I want to encourage you to keep going. Because it's something that often take, requires diligence and time. And so we see this even in the natural aspects of life. Those of you that know me know that I love Animal Planet. I am such a nerd when it comes to Animal Planet. I just love random facts about animals. But one of the cool things is, we all know this, but how a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. And so a caterpillar basically goes into a cocoon, and it can stay in this cocoon for days, weeks, and for some, they're in this cocoon for months. They're in this, this cocoon being changed and morphed and transformed into something beautiful, but it's something that requires time. And during this quarantine season, I can't think of a better cocoon. We're all stuck at home right now. May as well start, to be, start being diligent, reading our word, and spending that time with God, building that relationship with him, and beginning to renew, our, to renew our minds to think and walk more like Christ. 
Becoming a living sacrifice requires humility. So after the whole situation with Barabbas, we see Jesus, he takes, uh, he gets whipped and takes lashes on his back and then his cross is carried approximately half a mile and then he's nailed to this cross and then he's hung on this cross. And in this moment, he says some of the most humble words ever spoken. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And a lot of us may not even realize how humble of a statement this is. Yes, we can see that he's forgiving them for the actions, but we have to realize that God, or that Jesus was all God and all human. He had the power to summon his angels and wipe out the whole Roman Empire. But he didn't do that. He stuck to the plan. And because of it, he's our Savior. I think oftentimes we think that Humility looks, different than what a lot, humility looks different than what a lot of us think. I think a lot of people think humility is ju- just being humble, is just doing something great and not bragging about it. Like I did something good and then I give God the glory. Like that's being humble. Like, no, humility is so much deeper. Humility is something that requires submission. And before I dive into that, I want to share some scripture with you guys. And it's 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I love that word, submit. Because humility is something that requires submission. And that Latin root word of the word submit, that word sub, that means under. So in order to have true humility, you need to come under authority. God's authority and whatever authority God has placed in your life. That could be a boss at work. That could be a pastor. That could be an elder. If you're one of my youth, I'd be telling you that that's your parents. We have these authority figures that we have to submit to. And submission is something that's not easy. In fact, I've begun to, d- to discover that the greatest test of one's heart is their ability to submit. You can determine where someone's heart is at just by watch how, just being able to determine how they submit to a situation. I think submission is something that when we choose to submit to someone's vision, to someone's, someone else's vision, I feel like God will often bless our vision. And this isn't in the notes, and I just really feel compelled to share this. Um, but I have a podcast that I do on the side. It's something that I feel that God has placed on my heart to do, and I try to be obedient to do it. And it's something I love. There's no other feeling like it. When I'm in that room and it's just the camera, the, the, the microphone, and it's just me, oh, I love it. It's, there's, it makes me feel so alive. And that's something that God has placed in my heart, and I know that. But I also know that God has placed me here at Catch the Fire Boulder. But guess what? Catch the Fire Boulder has all the essentials for me to do my podcast. If it wasn't for me serving here and working here, I wouldn't have access to all the tools necessary for that podcast. Does that make sense? So 
We read in that scripture that God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So when we choose to submit to authority, when we choose to not necessarily put our dreams aside, but when we choose to submit to someone else's vision, God loves that. And he's going to favor us through that process. And when you're in the process of submitting to someone else's vision, you're allowing your gifts to be utilized in a context that's going to grow and develop your gifts for a later season of life. That's good. Amen. (laughs) But time to... Amen. (laughs) That's right. Becoming a living sacrifice requires giving God our very best. We see in the book of Leviticus all the different types of sacrifices that were done. Some some sacrifices required goats, sheep, bulls, oxen, and some even grain. But the thing about these sacrifices, when the Israelites were disobedient or sinned, they had to sacrifice in place of that. And so what was required of them is to re- they were required to sacrifice the best of what they had at the time. It couldn't be this 80-year-old goat that looked like it was sick and disgusting that you wouldn't even want to touch anyway. It had to be the goat that was in prime condition. And in fact, the priest would even analyze the sacrifice before it got onto the altar to make sure it was worthy of being sacrificed. The Israelites gave the best of what they had. And it's no different in our lives. I don't know about you, but I'm so tired of this one foot in, one foot out, mediocre Christianity. It's time that we start giving God our best. It's time that we start putting our best foot forward. It's time we start striving for excellence. Not perfection, but excellence. And it's not for any other reason. Though, see, some of us feel like we have to do things with excellence because I want to make it to heaven. Or I have to do things with excellence because I have to pay back this debt. That's not how it works. I strive to do things with excellence because of what God has done in my life, because of what Christ has done for me. That is my motivation. That is my drive. That is why I strive for excellence. And I want to advance the kingdom with excellence. I want to give back with excellence. Amen. The third major point that I want you guys to walk away with today is to remove the stone. So after Jesus dies on the cross, he gets buried into a tomb. And it's Sabbath, and they try to be obedient to the Sabbath, and so some women come back three days later, and they find that this stone was rolled away. And I want to read that scripture to you guys. It's Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. Say, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, it's Easter, and it's very important that I talk about resurrection, right? That should be the title of my message. But I really felt led to talk about a different resurrection, I want to talk about Lazarus. And so there's Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were all very close. They were all good friends. And so Jesus is currently in another city, miles away. And Mary, Martha, and Lazarus 
are all in this one city, and Lazarus ends up getting sick. And so Mary and Martha send a messenger to go tell Jesus because they know that Jesus is capable of healing Lazarus' sickness. And so this messenger runs out and tells Jesus, and Jesus finds out the knowledge, and then something very weird happens. Jesus doesn't get this sense of urgency like, oh no, my friend, I have to go back and I have to heal him. No, he, he stays at the city that he's at for two more days. Interesting. And in that time period, Lazarus ends up passing away. And he gets buried. And he gets buried into this tomb. And Jesus eventually comes back. And he's greeted by Martha. And this is the Devon translation, but she basically says something along the lines, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And so Jesus is moved by that. And then Mary comes up to Jesus and she's crying. She's a mess. She falls at his feet and she's in tears. And she says, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. She does the same thing. But this time Jesus is really moved. This tells me that our feelings, our emotions affect Jesus' emotions. He feels for us. That compassion, he feels that compassion, that, that sympathy. He feels those things for us. Because I think a lot of us get this concept that God is almost not personal. And not, like we have to go through, th through things alone, and that's not the case at all. When we're going through things, he wants to wrap us up in his arms. Let us know that we're safe, that we're secure. And so Jesus walks to Lazarus' grave. And then he does something very peculiar here as well. He has Mary and Martha remove the stone. You think Jesus kind of, be, it would be like the gentleman thing to do for Jesus to remove the stone, but that's not what happens here. Mary and Martha are the ones that he tells to remove the stone. That had to be very difficult. This is He's having them remove the very thing that had so much sorrow, so much weight, so much pain. They just buried their brother. This wound is really fresh. And now Jesus is asking them to remove this stone to see their brother's dead body. This is something that had to be very difficult. Jesus brought him to the place, but he had them remove the stone, and it's no different in our heart. Jesus will reveal to us the areas in our heart where we've been hurt, where we've been wounded. And we have to put down the walls. We have to remove the stone to let him in. Because we all know what happens next after the stone is removed. What, next, what happens next is a miracle. It's resurrection. It's life. It's healing. It's restoration. When we remove the stone and we let Jesus into our heart, those things happen. Life happens. Resurrection and healing and restoration happens. But you have to be willing to remove the stone and let him into your heart. The fourth major lesson that I want you guys to walk away with today is to expect the unexpected. After Jesus was buried, he rose again, and he appeared to multiple people. And he appeared to the disciples multiple times. And one of the times that he appeared to the disciples, they said he was a ghost. They thought that it was a ghost. They didn't think it was Jesus. And there's only one other place in Scripture that we see Jesus mentioned as a ghost, which is the story of when Jesus walked on water. And so Jesus and his disciples, he had 12 disciples that followed him 
And he, he tells his disciples, get on the boat and go make a way. Go make a way for me. And so they get on this boat and they start going out into the waters and the waves start to get a little treacherous. They're starting to get a little worried. And then Jesus starts walking on water and meets them out there. And the first thing they say is, is that a ghost? They call him the opposite of what he is. A ghost is something completely demonic, completely evil. But it's Jesus. And only one disciple out of the 12 knew that it was Jesus. And so Peter, the, the really brave, courageous, yet stubborn one, steps out of this boat in faith. Steps out of the boat in faith. Because he knew it was God. But the other disciples didn't know it was God because he came to them in a way that was unfamiliar. He came to them in a way that they weren't ready for, that they didn't expect. See, Jesus is coming to, our, in, coming to us in a way that we're not ready for, that we don't expect. Something miraculous, something huge. See, when we're, when we're, pursuing, our, when we're pursuing the calling on our life, Jesus is going to work in ways that we don't always know and, or understand. But we have to be willing to work with that because oftentimes what happens is a lot of us really limit God because we put him into this box because we have this perspective of him. We have this perspective that God only works in certain ways. And so we limit his ability and, and we limit how we allow him to move in our life simply because of our perspective. And so I want you guys to shift your perspective to know that God can work in your way and unexpected, work in your life in unexpected ways. So back to Peter. Peter is the one that stepped out of the boat in faith. And he starts to walk on water. Something crazy. He starts to walk on water. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus and he falls. And every time you hear this sermon preached, every time, you almost always hear, don't take your eyes off Jesus, otherwise you'll fail. That's basically what a lot of preachers preach this message. And I'm here to tell you, when you step out in faith to do something, there will be times you fall. There will be times where you fall flat on your face. But the next part of that story is so important because Jesus catches Peter. Jesus is our Redeemer. He can take any situation, just because we mess up, just because we have mishaps, just because we fall at times, Jesus can take those situations and turn them for good. See, a lot, we have this calling on our life, this plan, and, and it should just be point A to point B. You think it would be that simple, but it doesn't, it's never that simple. It's almost like this zigzag. It's dish, 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 and you eventually get there. And you fall in the process, and you mess up in the process. And we, we have to realize we can't get down on ourselves in those moments because we're human. And God is, <laughs> redeems time. Time is something that's extremely valuable because it's something you never get back. But God can redeem time. If you're 65 years old and you're listening to this message and you feel like you never pursued the call in your life, I'm telling you to start right now. He redeems time. There's no, no such thing as lost time. Amen. The fifth major point that I want you guys to walk away with today is to understand who your host is. Kind of a weird phrase. Understand who your host is. 
I thought it was very appropriate with everything going on with COVID and Corona to talk about what happens with a virus when it gets into your body. What happens with a virus when it gets into your body is it basically when it gets into your body, it attaches to one of your cells. And what it does is it, they're basically known as molecular hijackers. That's what a virus is known as, molecular hijackers. They, they, they attach to your cell and they take over your cell and they basically manipulate the cell to reproduce more of the virus rather than more of your cells. And so usually cells reproduce more cells, but in this case, when a virus takes over, it reproduces more of the virus. And so basically it becomes a host in your body. And I just want, if this is something you're very worried about, worried about, very stressed out about, I want to give you guys some encouragement and remind you who your true host is. There's a Bible verse, and I believe it's, it's 1 John, or excuse me, John 14, verses 16 through 17, says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So after Jesus appears to the disciples and all of that, he ascends up to heaven to sit at the right hand of the, right hand of the Father. And he leaves us with the advocate, the Holy Spirit. That is your true host. When you receive salvation, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, He lives in you. Everywhere you go, He's there. He changes the atmosphere without you even realizing it when you walk into Walmart. Everywhere you go, He is there with you. And so 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. What is in you is greater. What is in you is greater than depression. What is in you is greater than anxiety or stress. What is in you is greater than is sexual or physical abuse. What is in you is greater than loss. What is in you is greater than hate, anger, or envy. Or should I say who is in you? Who, in you, who is in you is greater than loss. He's greater than any sickness, any disease, any virus, any physical ailment or disability. Who is in you is greater. Jesus lives inside of you and me. And if he is for me, then who can stand against me? See, everything with this virus, everyone's worried about the contagiousness of it. That I can't cough, I can't sneeze because it's contagious. I was at Dollar Tree a couple weeks ago, and I was standing in line trying to buy some water, and I had to cough. And it wasn't like this like, thing where I felt sick or anything. I just had to cough because I swallowed my saliva wrong. <laughs> and so I was standing there, and I was like, ooh, because like, I just knew what society would think if I coughed. <laughs> and so I did everything in my power not to cough. And so everybody's worried about the contagiousness of this virus. But let me tell you what's going to trump all that. The contagiousness of the love of Christ. Because a lot of times, we, we, especially right now, a lot of people are being kind of selfish with their possessions. They're, they're out for themselves right now because they're in survival mode. 
Now is the time to start loving your neighbor. Now is the time to start giving back with excellence. Now is the time to start stepping out and demonstrating the love of Christ to people because they're open to it right now. Because right now they need a hope. They need a light. They feel like they don't have anything. They feel like the walls are crumbling down around them. And they need a hope in the midst of this time. And we can be that hope. But we have to be willing to step out and demonstrate that love. Amen? Love and faith are radically contagious. Faith is extremely contagious. Have you ever seen somebody get up here and preach a word and you leave and you're just amped and you're just excited? There's been multiple speakers that I watch up here and I'm like, oh, I got to go heal somebody now. Like, because faith is contagious. And and actually, Bruno shared a message. He's translating right now. Um, But we have a Spanish service. And and Bruno shared a message called Fe Logica, which translates to a logical faith. And basically, the concept of of the message he shared, the story of, of Jonathan. And they were going to battle against the Philistines. And so... But the way he did it was very illogical to the world. Seemed very crazy. Out of, out of the box, like, what is Jonathan doing? And yet you see the armor bearer, he says something along the lines of, whatever you want, I'll do. He's crazy. He knows Jonathan's crazy, but he's trusting Jonathan because he knows that Jonathan's a man of God. And it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But Jonathan, but, but the armor bearer is on board with the vision. He submitted to his authority. Back to that. There's times in our life when we have to just trust. And we have to have this illogical faith. And it's not illogical at all. It just seems illogical to society and everyone else. But when you trust God with, with all of your heart, he can do the impossible. He performs miracles. The, gra- the grave cannot hold him. Death cannot hold him. He's unstoppable. Hmm. So if as I was speaking today, there was just something that stuck out with you, I, I just want you guys to put your hands out right now, just where you're at. And I just want you to receive right now. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. God, we, we thank you that you sent your only son to die on the cross. You sacrificed your only son to die on the cross so that I could be set free. You demonstrated your love through that. So God, I just ask everyone in this room, Lord, that you begin to to pour out your love right now. That they begin to feel your love. That they begin to feel your peace right now. More, Lord. That they begin to feel you just, God, meet them right where they're at right now. Whatever they need, whatever they need to hear, tell them. Whatever they need when it comes to anxiety, give them peace right now. Lord, we just ask that you pour more of their love, Lord. More of your love. This virus will not triumph. Anxiety, stress will not triumph. Depression will not triumph. Physical abuse will not triumph because God is in control. You are in control, Father. Thank you, Lord. God, we just thank you for who you are, everything you've done, and everything you're doing, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
thank you so much for tuning in today. If you guys would like to partner with me, you can do that at paypal.me slash Devin Caswell. All donations go right back into the ministry so we can help advance the kingdom together. If you haven't already, please make sure to follow me on all my other social media platforms. We're on YouTube, Anchor, Spotify, and Instagram. We post different content on each platform and we want you guys to stay as updated as possible. Again, thank you so much for all your guys' love and support. We'll see you guys soon.